speaker tonight is Mike McGlynn, Mike and Amy. Yes, yes. Uh, Mike and Amy lead Hillsong Liverpool. Mike's really good friends. And when I moved up to Liverpool, there were a couple of different pastors that I met, and you got different responses. Um, some of them were, what are you doing in my city? And others are like, let's be friends. And I'll let you know what Mike was in those, out of those two camps after he's spoken. So um, no, uh, no, we became really good friends, I, I think. Are we friends? We're friends, good. Um, uh, you know, um, should we pray for him? Let's, let's welcome Mike up. Give him a round of applause, come. Let me pray for you, bro. Nice jumper. Cool. <laughs> Lord, I thank you so much for Mike and Amy, and I thank you for the way that they're leading your people here in Liverpool. And I pray that as he speaks tonight, may he be blessed by what the Spirit is doing through him, and may we be blessed as we hear the comfort and the challenge, the conviction and the encouragement that your Spirit is going to bring to us tonight. So bless him, and may we have ears to listen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. How are we? Are you loud tonight? Three of you are. I'm here with Amy, my wife, and I'm here with the Apostle Mari. She's joining us as well from Hillsong Liverpool. And uh, it's a real privilege to be with you. Thank you so much for asking me to be here. I'm excited to share something with you. Um, we, I'll just give you a little bit of background. I'm from Liverpool. I was raised in Anfield. I was there for 19 years, and then I got the upgrade, moved to Smithdown Road. And I was there for a few years, and then went even bougier, went to Walton Village, guys. I made it. I married up. That's, uh, that's how you do it. Married into money, Walton Village. And uh, then from there, we've then moved to Netherly, which is the ghetto. So if you've never been to Netherly, but all around Liverpool, Purple Wheelie been my whole life. So that's the aim. And we're here. We love the city. We've had opportunities to go elsewhere. And God has just asked us, would you stay? Would you stay and be someone that serves God in his city until he says it's time to move? So we're here and we've got no plans to go anywhere. And when Penny Lane came in, we were rejoicing and celebrating because we need more churches on every corner, loving Jesus and opening their doors. And what's happening here is amazing. I hope you know you're a part of a great community with a great leader who loves you. And there's excitement here. God is going to do something in your life. God is going to do something in this house to reach the streets around you and to make a lasting impact for his church for all eternity. Do you believe it? It's all by the Spirit of God. Um, we planted church five years ago in Liverpool with a great team of people headed up by the wonderful Reuben and Sarah Morgan, and then they left us to it, and we've been wondering why ever since, and we've been trying our best to keep things from falling apart in the midst of lots of problems uh, in our roof and globally, so we're doing our best. Um, but what I wanted to share with you today, if, if possible, I thought, you know, if I've only got one chance, Tim invited me to speak at the student weekend away and he didn't ask me again this year, so I feel like maybe I said something wrong. So if this is my only chance to say anything to Penny Lane, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to give you both barrels this evening. I'm going to teach you the single most important lesson that I have learned in the past five years of leading the church. Would you like to know it tonight? Great. Let's turn to the scripture, Luke 9, verse 18. You can find it in your Bible, on your phone, however you want to find it. But this is a passage that we're going to be looking at today. We're just going to start at verse 18. We'll stop halfway, then we'll pick it up a little bit later. Once, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. Still others, the one of the prophets from long ago that's come back to life. But what about you, he asked them. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's 
Messiah. Father, we pray that as we open your scripture this evening and as we begin to share life together, that the spirit of God would move. Father, I'm anticipating that you're gonna be speaking to people, that you're gonna be stirring things inside people's hearts that have maybe laid dormant for a while. Father, you're gonna be encouraging people that need to hear a word of encouragement this evening. Father, we pray as the spirit moves that we would be fanned into flames, God, that there would be something happening inside the hearts of your people because it's your spirit that moves. Amen. Can I give you some context for this passage? So in Luke, we've had a wonderful journey up to this point where Jesus has been calling people, calling the disciples, meeting them where they are and inviting them to join him. He's been teaching them about who he is and who he sees them to be. And then he sent them out. He's called the Great Commission. You've read that before, yes? So he sent them out into the highways and the byways to carry his message, the gospel of the kingdom. And then the story after the Great Commission is the feeding of the 5,000. So it would seem like it's worked. The gospel has impacted people and a crowd has formed. 5,000 men plus women plus kids plus donkeys all gathering around Jesus looking for something to eat. And so Jesus sends the disciples out with their baskets and they go and they feed everybody. Everybody was fed. So we've had the commission and we've had this great display of power. And then this is a private moment where Jesus pulls his followers to one side after this big excursion that they've been on, Duke of Edinburgh, but on steroids. They've gone out into the world and they've seen some amazing things happen. And then they've come back and they've done the miracle. They've been involved in what Jesus was doing. Their hands passed out the loaves and the fishes that fed the thousands. They've experienced the power of God through their life. And then he pulls them to one side and he goes... Who do people say I am? Which is really interesting because Jesus knows that built into Christian culture is the need to be social commentators. We like it, don't we? We like to comment on what everybody's believing about everything else. We like to have opinions about this side and that side and this political stance. Do you like opinions? Yeah, they're fun. That's why social media exists. So we've got this social commentary going on and they're talking about, oh, people say you're Elijah. You're this great man of God that's come back. Others say you're Moses. You're leading the people out of slavery once more or other dead prophets. And it would seem that it would be a a believed thing that people would come back from the dead and revisit. He says, okay, that's who other people say that I am. Thanks, thanks. But who do you say I am? And he hits them right between the eyes with this question that speaks to the heart of every person that's ever stood in front of the presence of God. Who do you say I am? That's the question that I want to ask you today. Who do you say I am? We'll come back to that. Because to understand the question, we've got to understand that actually there's things going on inside of us. There's worlds existing inside of you. Did you know that? Have you ever seen the movie Inside Out? Yes, Pixar movie, we've all seen it, maybe you haven't. If you haven't seen it, it's a movie that takes this young girl, this character, and it just shows you going through her everyday life. She's interacting with her parents, interacting with her brothers, and then every now and again, it zooms into her head, and you see what's going on inside her head, and you see these thoughts. You've got joy, you've got fear, you've got anger, you've got jealousy, you've got sadness, you've got all these characters existing inside of her head, and they're all competing for attention, all understanding how they process the situations in front of them. And the story goes, joy tries to take over everybody because we don't need negative emotions. And so this young girl goes on this journey where she gets all mixed up because there's battles going on inside of her head. Have you ever felt like that? Do you have voices inside your head? 
Yes, I do. We've got voices inside our heads. We've got our parents. We've got our culture. We've got expectations. We've got bosses. We've got the internal pressures we put on ourselves. We pick up voices inside our head that are there when we want them to be there and when we don't want them to be there. Do you understand? Are you with me with this? Competing voices. You can be you on Monday. You can be the same you on Tuesday, but completely different. You go to work and you're a different person. You come home and you're a different person. You come to church and you're a different person because there's voices competing for the type of person that you're gonna be. Paul himself in Romans 7, he says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But I end up hating what I do. Even the apostle Paul said, there's conflict going on inside our hearts. We know what we want, but we don't always do what we want. And it's confusing. There's a whole world going on inside of you. Do you know what you want your insides to look like? Do you have an idea of what you want your inside life to be like? If we zoomed in inside out on your mind and saw the voices that were going on, do you know who you'd want to be sitting at that table? Because I bet if I asked you, what do you want your outside life to look like, you would have an idea. Anyone have a dream car that they've always wanted to own? Or dream house, holiday destination, dream job? Do you want to get married in the future? Do you want to have kids? Is there a dog that you're after? Guinea pigs, anyone? We've recently lost a guinea pig and it's just weighing on my mind. So, you know, RIP Guinness, we're gone but not forgotten. We have these ideas of what we want to be like with our outside life. We're trained from when we're small in school. What do you want to be when you grow up? Halloween, all these kids running around dressed as things that they want to be. I don't think anyone wants to be a witch when they grow up, but you know what I mean? We're talking to kids. What do you want to be when you grow up? We're training people to build themselves a vision of what they want their outside world to look like. Have you got a vision for your outside world? Are you chasing after something? Are you on a university degree because of a destination that you want to end up? Are you on a saving plan because of somewhere where you want to go? We don't have to talk too long to find out someone's dream or aspiration or, you know, the clothes they wear or the way they talk. We can get ideas of the type of person that they want to be. But do you know what happens when you get there? You get there. That's what happens. Have you ever saw something and thought, oh, I do this all the time in work. That's a future Michael's problem. Have you ever said something like that? Yeah, this is a problem right now, but actually, if we just pretend it doesn't exist, that's a future Michael's problem. Have you ever got to the bridge that you said you would come to when you got there and now you're there? This is the bridge that we need to cross over. We, we can procrastinate and we can put things off by putting them in the future, but when we build this life for ourselves on the outside, we actually get there. And if we get there and we haven't built an inside life that can handle where we end up on the outside, what happens is there becomes a gap so big between our inside world and our outside world that we struggle to handle the weight of what we've accumulated on the outside. And that's why you feel like you're being crushed sometimes. Have you ever felt like you're being pulled so far in a direction that you feel the tension inside and you think, I I don't know how long I can last. I think I'm going to snap. Have you ever felt that pull inside of you? 
I believe it's because we've talked too long to people about what our outside world looks like, that we haven't discussed what it looks like on the inside. God has got a call for you to live in. Do you believe it? There's a purpose on your life. I believe God has a plan for every human heart. I believe he wants to do something magnificent through you. But what would happen if the call of God landed on your character right now? Do you have the inside strong enough to handle what he wants to put on you on the outside? It's kind of like the time I was riding a bike in Germany. Can I tell you the story? So my friend Dave and I, uh, we were traveling to Germany. He was the guest speaker and I was the bag holder. Anyone been there before? You third wheel in it on a little date. So this was a ministry trip. So my friend Dave was invited along to speak at this conference. And I thought, Dave, I like free flights and I kind of like hanging out with you. So can I come? He was like, yeah, sure. And so I went along, carried the bag. And so we were hosted uh, by this wonderful couple in Germany. And he did his thing and I did my thing, carried the bag. Amazing guys, you know, nailed it, nailed the brief. And we had a day off. And on the day off, they said, oh, we're going to go mountain biking today. I was like, oh, yeah, that's cool. So we, t- we get to the house in the morning, and then I notice outside this guy's house two mountain bikes. I was like, okay, I know how this ends. He goes, yeah, so I've got this mountain bike for me, and I've got this mountain bike for you, Dave. And I'm standing there, you know, the third wheel in this situation. And he goes, yeah, and we've got this bike for you, Mike. So you can imagine, they come around the garage, they wheel it out. It's like, so they hand me this bike. It's got a basket on the front. It's a single-speed road bike, and they've got these multi-speed mountain bikes with huge tires and what's it called suspension and the whole deal and so they said come on let's go and I was like this is gonna be interesting and so I get on the bike beginning to ride and if you ever ride a road bike on a dirt track you can feel every single bump along the way as you're trying your best to keep up with these guys that are speeding off into the future I did my best I wasn't dressed for cycling. I didn't bring my Lycra with me to Germany. It was on the suggested packing list, but I thought, no, I wouldn't need it. And so I get there, I'm just wearing jeans and my new Reeboks that I was kind of looking forward to wearing on this ministry trip. And they got oil all down the leg and the, the trainers were ruined and it was just a mess. I was a sweaty, oily mess. I got to the edge of the mountain and I was there with my bike, with my basket full of my own tears as they were already at the track. And they said, okay, we're going to go up to the top of the track. I was like, okay, yes, okay. It's already been more than I can handle to get to this point, but I don't want to moan. So I was like, yeah, fine. So they whizzed up to the top, and I kind of like whizzed, kind of like hearing every dent in the track to get to the top. And as we're at the top, the views are nice. And they said, oh, this is why we've come, for the dirt trails down. I was like, yeah, I'm not going to, I can't, I'm not going to do that, guys. And so they whizzed down on their dirt trails, and they had a great time, and I walked my bike down to the bottom of the mountain and sulked the whole way. What I didn't have was gears. I didn't have gears. Here's the lesson that I've learned. You need an inside life that you can adapt to adjust to the changes in your outside life. You need gears. Any car drivers here? Quick show of hands, let's see. Keep your hand up if you drive a a manual. Put it down if you're an automatic, don't want to know yet. Yeah, great, so you're, you're the real drivers. So you understand what gears do. Gears help you. When you get to a, a hill, you have to change your gear if you want to get up the hill. 
This is what was happening with these bikes. I had no gears, so it was solely reliant on my legs to produce the change in the dynamic to the situation that was changing outside of me. Over these past couple of years, I have learned that I cannot control what happens outside of me, but I can control what happens inside of me. And if I've got gears that I can shift into, then I can adjust to when my outside world challenges me. Without gears, you will never climb hills. You need gears. Do you know what gears are? Do you know what type of inside life you want? Here's the thing about it. I don't have a list of five gears that you need because the beauty is we get to create our own lives. We get to create the types of people that we want to be. You just have to be intentional about it. Would you like to be a kind person? Would you like to be a generous person? Would you like to be a confident person? A bold leader? Would you like to be selfless? All of these are decisions that you can make to develop a character that can handle the situations that you'll walk into. But I can hear you say, Mike, I've tried to be kind. Have you met my flatmate? I've tried to be patient. Have you met my mother? We've all tried from time and time to be the type of people that we want to be. And I would suggest we've all failed time and time. Any doctors in the room this evening? Yeah, okay, little hand there, that's good. If you want to be a doctor, if you decide, I would like to be a doctor, you don't become one instantly. You have to submit to seven years of medical practice where they shape you, they teach you things, they mold you into a doctor. You're not a good doctor the first day you decide to be a doctor. You're probably not even a good doctor year two. I've met some med students. They're not good doctors year two. It takes time to become someone who's a doctor. You have to learn how to do it. We've got a, a friend called Daisy who's recently graduated, and she's a doctor. She's a proper doctor now. And I was having a coffee with her the other day, and I was like, oh, Daisy, how, how are you? How's being a doctor? She was like, well, Mike, can I tell you, my first week, I was in pure gym. And I was on the leg press. I said, you weren't Daisy, were you? But that's okay. We'll, we'll pretend you were. She was on the leg press. And, said, and someone had a stroke in pure gym. I was like, wow. So she was there. She was doing emergency response. She was helping this person. CPR. She was doing the whole thing. She saved this person's life until the, the ambulance came. And then she got them on and she put them out. And I said, well, did, did, like, you know, that was your day off. Could you not have just carried on leg pressing and just like let that person have a stroke? And she was like, no, because... When you become a doctor, it isn't a job that you enter into. It's the person that you've become. You have a responsibility in any environment because you've learned what it takes to save a life. Seven years she submitted to this process to become a doctor. Here we've got these disciples. Jesus has called them out of the wilderness from the highways, the byways, and he said, will you join me? And I'm going to take you on a journey to become people who follow me, people just like me. They're committing to the process of becoming people who are like Christ. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you've made a decision to follow Jesus and you're like, you know, I've tried it a few times, Mike, and I just don't think I've got the hang of it. I'm trying to be kind and it just didn't work out. Or I read about generosity, but that didn't work. Jesus was committed to these people's process. He was committed to their journey. And here he is asking them some challenging questions. And so I want to remind you or encourage you this evening, if you have a desire of a type of person that you want to be and you've tried and failed, then you're in good company. 
It isn't about the failure. It's about whether you continue to keep pushing through. It could be a seven-year process to becoming the type of person that's generous or kind. But because we're so instant sometimes, we want it to happen overnight. So the question that I'd love to ask you is, do you know what type of person you want to be on the inside? Do you know? If you've got a notebook, you could write that question down. If you've got a phone, you could write it in your notes. I think this is a good question to begin to ask ourselves. Do you know who you want to be? Do you know what gears you want? What options you want? Do you know how to be kind? Do you know how to lead, how to have grace? Do you know how to be patient? Do you have those gears in your life so that you can change up when the terrain changes? Or do you just have one gear, panic? I know a lot of people that only have one mode, panic. How do you know if you're a panicker? Well, if you choose the wrong gear, what happens to the car? It stalls. If you're wondering why your life stalls so often, I would like to challenge you today. Maybe you haven't worked on your inside. You've just focused on your outside. Jesus is asking you here, are you going to go on a journey of transformation so that we can go somewhere? Cars are supposed to be driven to destinations. Alex is supposed to be leading this church. But often church leaders are roadside assistants helping cars that break down all the time because people aren't willing to own their own development of their own gears inside their life. The church needs people that know how to drive the car because we've got destinations that we need to go to. He's calling us out to go to places, to change communities, to change the world, to impact society. But if we keep focusing on our own hearts all the time and we never make any breakthrough, we can't drive our car when the slight increase of the road happens, we're going to be on the side. More often than not, calling the RAC, waiting for someone to come and rescue us. When really we could commit to do the work in our own hearts so that we know how to drive the car so that we can take some people with us. Anyone with me this evening? I wonder what your gears are. I wonder what your heart is. So how do we develop gears? How do we develop what's happening in the inside of our life? How's your devotional life? How's your prayer life? Solitude, confession, disciplined reading of scriptures, These aren't religious control mechanisms or club card points so you can get better prizes from Jesus. But these are ways that we can disciple ourselves and form our inner life so that we can become the type of person that God wants us to be on the outside. It's all there. It's all there. The decision is, do you want it? Do you want it? We come back to our passage. Jesus is saying, yeah, okay, I hear what other people are saying about me. I hear what other people are saying. But who do you say I am? What's happening inside your heart? Because if you've got a conviction that Jesus is the Messiah, then that changes things for you. If you've got a conviction that he's saved you, redeemed you, then you're not going to be stuck at the side of the road. Because you know there's a savior that wants to come and animate your life, bring you back to life again, and teach you how to follow him. Just as he came to the disciples and said, would you follow me and I'll take what you've learned. You're a fisherman, great, well let's make you a fisher of men. You've only seen the beginning. There's so much more that he wants to show you. 
Jesus himself, he says, all these things I have spoken, this is John 14, all these things I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I've said. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. This word peace is the word shalom, which means wholeness. Another use of the word could be harmony. Jesus knows that we're going to have all this tension in our life. And so when he's leaving, he says, I'm going to send you a helper. And I'm going to send you a helper, the Holy Spirit, that's going to lead you to peace. I'm going to lead you to harmony with yourself. The Spirit is here to marry the gap between our outside world and our inside world so that we can live in harmony. We don't have to pretend to be somebody. We don't have to put on a front. We don't have to stall on the side of the road. We don't have to have more in our hands than we can handle. He's calling you to peace, to harmony. That Spirit is here leading us, helping us. But the temptation in the church all the time is that we run ahead. Are you young and semi-good-looking and semi-charismatic, you can lead a church, <laughs> just go for it. We push people, we try and get them out there because we want things to work, we want things to succeed. Maybe you've got this bug inside which is this time is running out. Have you felt that before? Time is running out, I'm gonna lose my opportunity and so we run as hard as we can, as far as we can and we realize that we don't know what we're doing and we're not equipped to drive the car. It's like my friend Tim and I, we, not this Tim, different Tim, I know another Tim. We were driving and we were staying uh, at this windmill uh, with a group of friends and there was a very steep hill up to the top of the windmill and it was like, do you drive and park up there or do you park at the bottom? And he was like, should we do it? I was like, we should do it. And so he kind of like shifted down and then he went straight up to the top but we only got three quarters of the way and then the wheels started spinning at the top of the hill and it was like, woo, 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 like it was pretty scary and then he puts the handbrake on, we look down, the rest of the group were at the bottom of the hill and so we're faced with this, like do we keep going to the top or do we career down backwards and crash into everyone else that's come with us? It was a pretty scary situation because we'd just driven headfirst into a hill that we had no idea how we were gonna summit and no idea what the car was capable of, but we just had young passion. And I think I've seen many people sidetrack themselves and hurt themselves or fall down and break things because we just go too far, too fast, because we're energetic without any thought for what it's gonna take on the inside to do the thing that we've set out to do. Should we come back to our text? This is Luke 9 verse 20. Jesus strictly warned them. He said, don't tell anybody. He said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. He must be killed, but on the third day he'd be raised to life. Then he said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up my cross daily and follow me. But whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world but yet forfeit their very self? Whoever's ashamed of me in my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them in the coming glory and the glory of the Father and the angels. Truly I say to them, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. We need gears because there will be hills. 
Jesus takes his disciples to one side. He says, it's not enough to know about who the crowd think I am. You've got to know who you think I am inside of you. Because if you want to follow me, you're going to come across opposition. There's going to be a challenge to your faith. So you better know on the inside what's going on. You better have a conviction on the inside who I am. Because when it comes to the hill, you've got to have something to cling on to, to get to the top. Otherwise, you're going to stall. When he's teaching the disciples and sending them out, he's talking about who they are. In the 5,000, when he gathers them, he's showing them who he is. But now he's asking them, who do you think I am? You've seen it all. You've seen the highs, you've seen the lows. What's going on in your heart? They're going to need that because there's going to be troubles coming up. There's going to be things that they're going to encounter. There's going to be this word, suffering. It's not an easy word to talk about. It's not a very fun word to talk about. But how many people go through their life without encountering suffering? Jesus even knows that we're going to encounter suffering. He teaches them. Just as he prepared them for miracles, he prepared his disciples for suffering. But we don't like to talk about that very often. We like to talk about the good things, the happy things. Jesus isn't surprised when we suffer. He's surprised that we're surprised when we suffer. He knows it's going to happen. He knows we're going to face a challenge. He knows in the the world that we live in, there's going to be increasing opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you feel like it's hard to be a Christian sometimes? Just me. Must be a Hillsong thing. (laughs) Do you feel like it's hard to follow Jesus? Do you know what to say all the time in your workplace to your friends with hot topical issues? It's hard. It's hard to know. And actually, it's becoming less and less popular. It used to be that England was a Christian country and that was, that was what we did. Now it's becoming less and less popular. So it's becoming increasingly more unsure how the future is going to look for the church. Suffering could be on the horizon. But even outside of that, you've got a life that you live. You've got family. You've got bills. You've got all things that you're going through. You will encounter suffering. You will encounter hard times. And so this is the lesson. Jesus is saying, can your opinion of me be held higher than your opinion of your circumstances? Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Because if I'm the Messiah, then I'm still the Messiah when I'm feeding 5,000 is when you're being held at court. If I'm the Messiah, then I'm still the Messiah when you're out preaching about the kingdom of God and when they welcome you to the, the same town down the road where they don't welcome you. If I'm the Messiah and I'm above it all, then I'm above everything. I'm above the good and the bad which means you can't be too swayed by when it's going well and too thrown when it isn't because he doesn't sit on those measuring scales. He's above it all. Is he the Messiah of your heart? Because if he is, then that changes things. It changes what you care about. It changes who you listen to. It changes the voices that sit at the seat in your head when you're making decisions. If he's the Messiah... If he's God above it all, then you need to say no to some of the things that you're allowing to shape your decisions. Because if you've given them the ability to shape you, then you've put something else at the seat of the table with Jesus. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? When your finances come in, when the student loan lands, and we're talking about generosity, and you're going to be a generous person, is he the Messiah then? Is he the Messiah when all things are going well and you actually don't need church anymore? Is he the Messiah then? 
Is he the Messiah when you're out on a Saturday night and you're making decisions? Is he the Messiah then? I wonder where he sits at your decision-making table. That's what he's after with these disciples. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? That's the question I want to ask you this evening. Maybe, Tim, you could come and join me. I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to pray for some things that might be going on in your heart. Because there's a call of God on your life. And we've maybe got that term a little bit mistaken. Sometimes we think the call of God is to um, have a, a ministry website and a flyer and to travel countries and preach the gospel. But really, the, the call of God is the type of person that he's made you to be. Do you know that God made you, designed you before you were on the earth? He had the idea of you. He chose where you would be born and who would you be born to. He chose the place that you would be, the time that you would be. He has a plan for you. But you have to choose to stand in that. There's a strange passage of scripture, if you can call it strange. Matthew 7, not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say on the day, Lord, Lord, we, we prophesied in your name. We drove out demons in your name. We performed miracles. And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It's a reminder that God has a call on your life, but that call isn't to do things. The call is, is to know him. That's the call of God. The call of God on your life is to be a child of God in relationship with your father. All these things, I, I heal people and I cast out demons. I did all these things. Jesus is like, yeah, but I don't know who you are. We've, we've never spoken. You've been running around, building this outside life, doing all these things, trying to please me, trying to get my attention, trying to get my affection, when really I just want your inside life. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? I wonder if you know Jesus tonight. I wonder if you know him. Or whether you've just been busy with the activities surrounding him trying your best to gain some attention and gain some approval or get some status, whatever it is. Or maybe you've just been trying to crowd out these negative voices in your head. Wherever you are on this journey, whether you've been walking with Jesus for your whole life or whether you've just walked through these doors of the church today, he's after your heart. He wants to know you. He wants to know who you are. He's like, show me who you are. But God, I've done some terrible things. I've made some bad decisions. I don't like what's in there. He's like, show me who you are. Because I reckon together we can work on some gears so that when you face some challenges, you've got something to shift into so that you can climb those hills. Show me your pain. Show me your hurt. Who are you? Who are you?